0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Y'all, I've been on a little bit of a book tour, and I really, I really miss you guys. I really do. I'm glad to, I'm glad to be back. Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I can't. You win this round, my friend. But I will be back. <laughs> All right. Uh, all right, I'm going to talk about two of, the, two of the biggest questions we get asked at this church more than anything else. Two of the biggest questions. Question number one, uh, is the Bible still relevant? And I understand why people want to ask that question. I really get it, especially because we consider ourselves a more progressive Christian church. Um, people want to know, is the Bible still relevant to a church that calls themselves more progressive? Um, And we say that because I think far too often we look at the Bible, and I've said this a thousand times over the past month, we look at it through a lens um, almost as a destination, right? A place where you arrive. It's a place uh, where we find instruction. It's a place uh, where we create boundaries, ins and outs, and lefts and rights, right? That's kind of the way we see our scriptures, right? And if we look at them that way, well, then they're really troubling. They're incredibly troubling Uh, because if we look at them that way, we can uh, find a really good theology for slavery or a really good theology for like terrible violence or a really good theology for deviance or a really good theology for, you know, uh, no uh, mixed ethnicity marriages and a bunch of other things. Right. Like if we look at scripture in that sense, it becomes uh, problematic. And so I get why people say, hey, is the Bible still relevant? Like, does that still matter? Not only that, but the way we interpret scripture is pretty awful, let's just be honest. Um, I feel like scripture over the thousands of years, 2000 years, it's like a game of telephone. Y'all remember playing telephone? Y'all remember? You start off by saying like, I like ice cream, and then it gets to like the 15th person. They're like, Sally's pregnant. It's like super different, right? Very different. And that's what it feels like. It feels like that to me as well. So, so when I think about um, whether or not the Bible's relevant, I always answer, absolutely. Absolutely it's relevant. Absolutely it's inspired. And here's the reason why. My friend Josh Scott says it this way. I love what he says. He says, I see the Bible as a launching point part of a journey that's headed somewhere. And what we find in the pages of Scripture is our ancestors wrestling with that somewhere and how to get there from their own time and place. The Bible is not a limitation, but a catalyst, always heading in a more loving direction. Yeah, I love that. That's a big deal, and I I appreciate that, and I I think that's how we center our lives around Scripture. Uh, And so what we're going to do during this series is is something that we do a lot of summers, if you've been around for a while. Uh, We're going to do a series where we're going to take some of those Scriptures that have been problematic, or some of those Scriptures that we've played telephone with and interpreted them poorly. We're going to take some of those, and we are going to, what the series is called, we're going to debunk them, okay? Okay. Now here's the thing: we're not trying to do. We're not trying to say like, well, this is what it used to mean, and this is what it means now. No, like, let's not be like, let's not make this a destination. Let's let's um, w- when we talk about this, <clears throat> let's uh, explore it and get involved in it. And if you're in a small group, go ahead and talk to your other small group people about it. Don't let this be an answer as much as you let it be a journey for you. Okay? So so can we all agree to do that? Yes. Yeah. I need. I'm going to need. I need more. Can we agree to do that? All right, good, good. I'm glad to hear it. So the one that I'm going to uh, debunk today is one that I did a few years back, and it's uh, a memorable one if you were here a few years back, but I'm going to do it again, and that is John 14:6. How many people, just by me saying John 14, 6, know what I'm talking about? Anybody right now? All right, a few of us. Uh, I'll read John 14, in fact, I can just say it from here. And it says this, it says, Jesus answered, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How many people are familiar with that scripture? Okay, a lot of you. Uh, For me growing up, and maybe that experience was the same for you, uh, I always had the question, uh, You know, are are other people besides Christians going to go to heaven? That's what I I wanted to know and I asked. And in fact, that's the second biggest question we get at this church. Are people other than Christians going to go to heaven? Are, are Hindus, Muslims, Presbyterians, <laughs> Methodists, whatever, are they going to go? Like, and it's a, it's a valid question, right? And so for me, when I was growing up, what would happen for me is somebody would say, actually, it's only Christians, Jonathan. You know why? Because John 14, 6 says, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So you have to believe in Jesus in order to get to heaven. And so I kind of accepted that as truth. And then I was like, you know what? I got to dig deeper into this. And I started digging deeper. As I got older, and this didn't make sense to me. And I was like, let's figure out the context behind this, okay? That's what we're going to do today. Let's figure out the context. So the first part of this, of John 14, 6, it says, Jesus answered. I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus answered. That means there was a question that was asked. (laughs) Right? So what is the question? Is it, where am I going to go when I die? Hindus, Muslims, Presbyterians going to heaven. Why did Game of Thrones suck so bad for season eight? Like, what's the question? Right? What's it going to be? Well, let's read the question. It says this. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Well, that clears everything up. Right? That definitely clears everything up. So here's what I do when I get stuck in this situation. I, I, I go back to where I'm able to kind of figure out the context behind the scripture, right? And when I'm able to figure out the context behind it, I have to go all the way back to John 13. So what's happening in John 13? In John 13, Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. Now, I think for us, we've sort of accepted Jesus as being this um, uh, servant leader, right? He's humble. Of course he would wash people's feet. At this time, though, in that culture, that was really, really unheard of. In fact, it was a bit peculiar that Jesus would do this for his disciples. It didn't quite make sense. They probably would have found it awkward, as awkward as we might find it, if we walked into work tomorrow and our boss was like, sit down, I'm going to wash your feet, right? Like, we'd, it was that awkward. We would probably call HR, right? We would be like, oh... I don't know about this. This doesn't feel right. (laughs) It didn't feel right for the disciples either. I think we have to recognize that. We have to remember that they are human beings. Too often we see them in our scriptures and we're like disciples, but they, they felt the same way we do, right? So not only is Jesus washing their feet, but at some point Jesus says, and one of you, Judas, is going to betray me, okay? So again, imagine you're at work. Your boss just starts washing your feet. And you're like, this is, I don't like this. And then all of a sudden he's like, and you know, Dave from accounting, he's going to take this whole place down. Like, that's what's going to happen. Like, imagine that. Like, now you're concerned, right? Like, this is legitimate. Like, so now the disciples are concerned. They're like, oh my, like, as weird as that sounds for us is how weird it was for them. Okay, we have to remember that none of this was normal for them. And so, so that's what happens. So they're sitting there, and they're like, what, what's going on? You're saying somebody's going to betray us, and, and, and you're washing our feet. And then Jesus says this. He says, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Again, we have 2,000 years of hindsight. And 2,000 years of hindsight, we know exactly where Jesus is going, right? He's going to be arrested, he's going to be killed, he's going to be resurrected. We know this. They did not have that hindsight. So again, they're, they're, they're coming at this blankly. And they've just been told that where Jesus is going, they cannot come. Okay, that's what they've been told just now. I want us to put that into perspective. Let's say that um, let's say somebody comes up to you and they say, I have a startup that's going to change your life going to change your life completely, but I need you to move to Sacramento, and you're going to go to Sacramento, I need you to be there, and you're going to work 85, 90 hours a week, it's going to be a ton of work, you're going to devote your entire life to it, but it's going to be worthwhile, and so you do that, you say goodbye to your family, you say goodbye to your friends, you say goodbye to your culture, your community, you say goodbye to the good restaurants, say goodbye to the pizza spots, (laughs) everything, you say goodbye, you decide you're starting brand new. Right. You know nothing. And you do. You go to Sacramento and you're working for this person. And it is good. It is changing your life. You are giving your life to it. It is 85, 90 hours a week. But but you're like, this is amazing. And then that person comes to you and they say to you, I know you've devoted your life to this and I know you're working hard. I know you moved all the way across the country, but I'm leaving. And you're like, what? And then you're like, well, where are you going? And they're like, I can't tell you. You would be so angry, right? <laughs> would that confuse you? How upset would you be if you heard that? That's what's going on with the disciples, right? They've given up everything. They, they gave up family. They gave up their culture. They gave up parts of their religion. They gave up everything they knew, and they start following Jesus. They don't have a place to stay. They don't have money to buy things. They're following Jesus, and Jesus goes, I'm going to leave, and you cannot come with me. Well, all of a sudden, you're like, well, where am I going to live? How am I going to get a job? I left my job. I just did all the, like, the disciples are real people, and they feel the same way we might feel in that situation. We forget that, right? So Jesus tries to make them feel better. This is how Jesus tries to make them feel better. He says this, My father's house has many rooms, if that were, if that were not so. Would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. Doesn't that make you feel better? It doesn't because you have zero clue what's going on, right? <laughs> this is actually pretty, it's actually a pretty good thing for Jesus to say. It's simple. It's simple than, uh, simpler than it sounds. Uh, in Jesus' time, when you got engaged, you would get engaged and then the groom would go back to his father's house and literally build a room. It was called an insula. So he would build an insula an addition onto the father's house. And it might take weeks. It might take months. You never know how long it's going to take. So it takes that time, and then the father comes, and the father says, mm, this house is, or this insula is done. And when the insula was done, word got back to the bride, and that's how the wedding began. The bride would come to this new house that has a room. And if you had a lot of brothers, well, then you had a lot of rooms, right? So basically what Jesus is saying is he's saying, hey, you know how we have this custom in, in, in our culture where the house gets built? That's basically what I'm going to do. Listen, I'm going to build the insula for you, and so I am coming back. I am coming back, and we're going to have the same kind of unity that we have, uh, like, like a wedding. Okay? We're going to have that same kind of unity, so don't be too afraid. All right? And again, you're, you're going, okay, but where are you going? Okay, but, but what am I going to do for a job? What am I going to do for money? Like, all those things are still going through your head. So now we get back to the question. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? This is quite literal, right? And I think when we read this, we think he's talking about getting to heaven. No, he's like, where are you going, man? I need to go with you. Like, my life depends on you at this point. I need to know where I'm staying. Can you tell me where I'm staying? Can you figure that out for me? Can you tell me why you're washing our feet? Can you tell me why you said Judas is going to betray us? Can you tell me why we can't come with you? Can you tell me? Can we stop for a moment and agree that Thomas isn't using this time right now to go, Jesus, real quick. I know we're in the midst of crisis. But do you think all Jews, Muslims, Hindus, and Presbyterians are going to get into heaven? Or is it just going to be you? Can we agree he's not doing that? We can. Because out of context, it has zero to do with it. And it's ignorant and arrogant for us to think that's what Jesus was saying otherwise. Okay? So what does Jesus say? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, but through me... um, My friend says it this way. He uh, says, in this light, Jesus is saying, listen, you don't need to understand all this. You simply need to trust me. Don't look for a way apart from me. Don't look for a route or a destination, some concept or technique or system of thought that is separate from me. I'm trying to give you information or instructions so you know, I'm not trying to give you information or instructions so that you no longer need me and can instead depend on the information or instructions. No, just trust me. So what Jesus is basically saying is there's a bunch that you can't even grasp and I am the way, the truth, and life. You have seen me because you have walked with me and you know that's the way. And you've seen me heal and you've seen me treat people with equity and you've seen me bring others into love that never had it. You know that's my truth, right? And and you've seen me deal with Pharisees and and people who consider themselves religious and and you've seen me, well, you see what really brings good news, what really brings life, that's life. Trust those things. Trust that I'm not going to hang you out to dry on this one. Now, I'm going to tell you all something. That doesn't make me feel better. You want to know why it doesn't make me feel better? Because like every other human being, we love our guidelines. We love our boundaries. We love our instruction. We love knowing who's in and who's out. That's the way we order our lives. How many people were alive during, uh, when the Berlin Wall came down? Wow. Jeez, I'm that old, huh? That stinks. That just made me a little depressed. Anyway, yeah, so there's this, the Berlin Wall, oh, I'm going to use this illustration anyway. The Berlin Wall, uh, so East Germany and West Germany, they were separate. And East Germany was considered a communist country, uh, which at the time, in in the late 80s, we said that meant they had no freedom and poor communists and all the rest, right? West Germany was a democracy. And so when the Berlin Wall came down, everyone became a democracy, which was giant news around the world. Everybody here was really happy. I was 11 at the time, and I remember, like, we had a party in our class for the Berlin Wall. Like, it was that big of a deal, right? So all that happened. Um, And then in this book called The Art of Choosing by Sheena Iyengar, she said that they, they um, did a survey of everybody who lived in the former East Germany 10 years later. And what they found out 10 years later, you ready for this? They found out that 97%, 97% of people who lived in the former East Germany weren't as happy as when the wall was up. They were not as happy. 90% they wish, uh, said they wished that communism would come back, except for a few more freedoms that they didn't have. 25% they, wish the, they said they wished the wall was back up. Wow. Why? It comes down to one thing. They had no choices. They had strict guidelines. They had boundaries. Everybody got the same apartment. Everybody got the same car. Everybody got the same rations. Everybody got the same furniture. And what they lamented was that there was too much. There was too many options. In fact, one person said they struggled to even buy soda because they don't know how to make that choice. The thing is, is we love, we love certainty. And so we want this passage to be about who gets in and who gets out and when it doesn't we're a little disappointed but here's the thing and this is the thing I say this all the time in fact i probably said it to some of you the thing is this if I found out tomorrow if I found out tomorrow that the death and resurrection never happened I would still have this church you know I would have this church because I think the life of Christ is so compelling that it is the way it is the truth and it is the life that's the bottom line. So when I think about ordering and centering my life around Jesus, like I think about the fact that I would wake up every, every morning, and if I'm ordering and centering my life around Jesus, then I wake up believing that every single person, full stop, without fail, is entitled to be loved by God Almighty, right? without fail. And I want to order my life like that. I want to come and see people, and my first thought is be like, you, you are worthy of love. I want that to be the first thing that I think about. And when I think about the way, the truth, and the life, and I'm centering my life around Jesus, then I get to take part in the healing, just like Jesus took part in healing, right? Like, I get to think about what it means to heal others in my community, and I get to be allowed to be healed by others in my community. That matters to me. I want to orient my life around that. That feels like truth to me. And, and if I'm going to orient and center my life around Jesus, well, then I actually get to bring equity, right? Because that's what Jesus is walking around doing. And so the thing that I get to center my life around and orient my life around, is I get to say, I'm waking up every day to make sure that people who have less can have the same as someone privileged like me. If not more. Right? That's good news. That's worthy of living a life patterned after Jesus Christ. Is there mystery involved in it? Yes. Do we have the guidelines we want? No. But something tells me that the mystery, the mystery is actually going to end up better, being better than the boundaries ever I think that's the bottom line. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life for me. I do want to center my life and pattern my life after Jesus is. Jesus is God incarnate, so God says, when I get what I want in this kingdom, when my kingdom comes, it looks like Jesus. And then we're so loved that we get the privilege of working to bring the kingdom just like Jesus. That's truth. But it still doesn't answer the question, does it? Will other religions get into heaven? I don't know. It's not for me to know. It's not for any of us to know. That feels weird, right? Here's what I can say. A couple months ago, I read an article in the newspaper. This article I read was about a boy who got caught stealing. And his dad took him home. His dad took the hand that he stole with, and he put it over a candle and burnt his hand. And It's terrible. His hand was all like third-degree burns It's really awful. And so, it turned out the dad got taken from the sun, and as you can imagine in the comments section, everybody was like, good. What a monster, what a monster. And I thought the same thing. What a terrible way to discipline your child. And then I thought about the fact that in America, we have a religion centered around getting it wrong and having our God, our Father, not just put our hand in fire, but put our whole body in fire for eternity. And I don't know if that's the loving God that I know. It's not the loving God that God is small. That God punishes us for getting it wrong. I'm not interested in that God. What I'm interested in, I'm interested in a God who brings Jesus. And allows us to pattern our lives after Jesus. And where Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm way more interested in a God who loves me so much. He says, come and bring my kingdom just like Jesus did. And that church is why I think we can usher in a new kind of Christianity for the next 500 years. And you didn't think I was going to say that anymore, did you? (laughs) I'm going to keep saying it. Because I believe it. And I believe that our church is a part of it. And I believe that it's good news to live in the mystery because I can't wait to tell stories about the good that God is going to do in our lives. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for uh, giving us the privilege of bringing peace to your kingdom by following Jesus. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the the way he walked and ministered and the way he cared and the way he served and, and allow us to do the same. Give us the strength to do the same, the courage to do the same. Lord, give us the courage to be comfortable not having all the answers. Give us the courage to be comfortable um, in the mystery. Give us the courage to seek out your Holy Spirit guiding us on this journey. And when we get it wrong, we're so grateful for your grace. We pray this in your name. Amen.